This episode of You Talking Prague is brought to you by Riverstar Professional Group, your strategic and financial analysis company. For more information, visit them at riverstarpro.com. From the control room of 148 South Street Studio, common sense won't pay the rent and doesn't grow on trees, but splitting hairs can get you anything you need. Who would have thought connecting dots might get you to the point? But charity is a rarity, almost as much as modesty. Welcome to You Talking Prague. It is the end of Janny Spears, and I am your anxious-filled ridden host, Taylor Blackburn, joined as always by your co-host, Evan Bonetti. What's going on, Evan? Uh, yeah, we're back again. We oh. are back. For another sweet episode of You Talking Prague, we want to first thank everyone who's been listening to us, liking the Facebook page, rating and reviewing us on iTunes especially. That's what helps us climb up in those charts so that way we can get to more Prague fans out there and spread the word of Praggy love. Prague love. No time signature shall remain the same ever again. We will banish four and four from being associated together. I am your Prague mayor, and this I do declare. Again, in the studio, we have Prague mayor here. Prague mayor, how you doing? I am doing great. I am just here to enforce the rules of progressive music, and I saw you had an excellent form for doing so. Okay. Uh, do you have anything else, you know, you want to say? Nope. I'm, I'm good right here. Okay. That's, that's fine. You want to just hang out in the studio? Could you give me a water? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, could someone get the, uh, someone get the mayor, mayor some water? Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Brock Mayor. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome, sir. Now, please continue with the show. We will. Evan, what has been going on? There has been so much happening in Prague music since we last talked to you guys. Yeah, I know. And uh, a couple of things that were pretty much happening as we were releasing the episode, too. Yes, uh, when we put out the episode, I think the day we recorded it, that night between the Buried and Me released their uh, new single from the new album, Condemned to the Gallows. And oh, it's what, so great. What a great track. It is so good. I've only listened to it a couple times. Can mm-hmm. we can we pull it up to see? Sure. Like, you know, it's crazy that they like had this all written and recorded when we saw them on the Colors Tour. Did they really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. So this is the first track under Sumerian, right? Yeah. I think Sumerian's going to be a really good home for them. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean... Just, I think it'll be a good fit for them. I think it'll give them like the right promotion into a real like younger crowd yeah. and stuff too. Oh yeah. I can get down to this, baby. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's a little more simplistic than what they usually go with. Driving chords. I'm enjoying it though, because it's still got that like ebb and flow to it. Yeah. Even though the riffs are like pretty simple. Wow, it's a, that's a great track. Between the Barry to me, I'm very, very happy that you keep putting out sweet music like that. And yeah, I am so excited for the record and to see them on their tour. Yeah, and I don't know if, uh, if Taylor, if you've gotten, how you said you've listened to the track a few times, but it gets, it gets heavier than they've been, I think, since almost the Colors era. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the last record wasn't too heavy. It had heavy parts on it. Yeah. But overall, it, 
it was a real kind of stray from their like heavy metal roots. But yeah, and this, this is this is, just, is like death metal. For this a is good, slamming, man. For slamming, for a couple solid minutes there. He's doing not a slam beat, but you know, it's upbeat, screaming metal the whole time, and it's really cool. I know. I'm very happy with the direction that they are taking. On uh, a little more sad note, we have Rush is basically announced. Yeah, Alex that. Lifeson said that they're, uh, they never plan to play any more shows or record any more music. And we already kind of knew they weren't playing any more shows um, other than possibly a, you know, a Vegas thing or a festival here or there. But Something like that, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. No, and we were all hopeful for maybe another record, even if they wouldn't tour it, but it doesn't look like anything's going to happen. It's... Yeah. It's so sad. I mean, we need to light a candle for for our fallen brothers in Rush. But I'm just so happy we got to see them on their last tour. Yeah, and Alex said to the Globe and Mail, it's been a little over two years since Rush last toured. We have no plans to record or tour anymore. We're basically done. After 41 years, we felt it was enough. Oh, Rush, how could you? I think until we get the robot arms on Neil, though. Yeah, I know. Then I think we'll be able to come back. Yeah. I say we as like I'm in Rush. I'm the fourth <laughs> member. You are. I I do the uh, the foot pedals, actually. But also in that interview, Lifeson said that he was involved in several other, I think he said five other musical projects at the moment for other people. Hopefully one of them is that rumored Lee Lifeson project that we've been hearing about. That would be the best. Uh, I don't care who you get on drums, but if you got two-thirds of Rush, I am in. Yeah, yeah, and I don't care if it, they're playing Rush music or not. I just, I'd love to see the guys go out and play some more music. I would like to see them do something that's almost a little bit different than Rush. Yeah, definitely. Too, just to sort of explore their musical horizons. But still with those two guys. Are we talking about a trap record from Rush? <laughs> Absolutely. Are we yeah. talking Lil Rush? Lil Rush. And it looks like Adam Jones of Tool has said that the new music is done. Really? Yeah. He said it's all finished and that Mayard is now working on the lyrics. So Okay. So, well, maybe it'll go somewhere then. Hopefully. I mean, I don't know how long. Maynard works quick. Yeah, he really does on working with lyrics. He's always busy doing something. Yeah. He, he doesn't like sitting around and waiting for it to be perfect. He just wants to get it out. Speaking of uh, Mayard, what do you think about this whole perfect circle uh, photography rule. Have you been hearing about this? I think you brought it up to me last week where they're kind of... They're, they're kicking out fans if you pull out your cell phone during a show. Do you know what the reasoning behind it is? I, they, I've heard that Maynard kind of freaks out with flashes and stuff because I know that's kind of why he doesn't have any lights on him. That would make a lot more sense than what they've sort of released, which is basically like we're trying to enhance the art experience. Okay. You know, so, just, yeah, well, I mean, if that's the way they're releasing it, then that's probably the truth behind it. So, yeah. I, I mean, it's a little annoying. Oh, yeah. And there's a, this isn't the first, you know, big high-profile artist who doesn't want any photography at, their, uh, at no. their shows. Danzig was big with that. He still is. I remember back from our youth all the time, there were all sorts of concerts where people were getting kicked out for bringing in cameras and stuff but that was before cameras were in phones yeah know? exactly and people had to actually sneak in physical cameras yeah so i i remember a time where that was a big deal but it's since the since people have all have cameras in their pockets all day now it's it's a it's, little bit it, of a different world and it's i'm hard surprised to they're trying it. to enforce it have you seen this uh thing the misfits just did it at one of their shows and dave chappelle's been doing it too it's called yonder no it, it's a you basically pay if you're an artist, you go to the venue and then you pay to have Yonder set up and it 
as soon as you get in the venue, you give them your phone and it's locked up in this little case that you can't unlock unless you go to a yonder like booth and they unlock it for you. Wow. Okay. So you can't be in the middle of the crowd or in the middle of the show and pull out your phone. See, I, I mean, it doesn't really work though because they did it for the Misfits reunion show they had in uh, California, and there were uh, just Instagram and Twitter were flooded with photos and videos of the show. Then how are they uh, exactly? You can bring in a second cell phone. You yeah. could. I but, mean, I I'm I guess I'm kind of torn on this because I'm all for putting down your cell phone and enjoying the show. Absolutely. You know, you're paying a ton of money. You got to live in the moment there. If you're staring through your cell phone, yeah, you may be able to look back at it after and be like, oh, cool. I was there. But why don't you actually be there? Yeah. It's a different experience than it was years ago, and I wish people would just, you know, sit back and enjoy it instead of... Well, back in my day, you could not have professional recording devices in the show, or the artists would get very upset. Now they just want it in their Snapchat story. It's, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, Prog Mayor, you said you had a... You know, some trouble with that. Oh, yes, people were always trying to bring in photographs and videograph recording devices into the prog experience. And we told them, no, sir. No. No, you may not bring those in there. But once I got my iPhone, I could kind of understand. I'm into the daily vlogging now. All right, Prog Mayor, we'll be uh, sure to look out for your daily vlogs. Oh, thank you. In other light news, though, I don't know if I should say light, but good news. Sarah Longfield uh, just signed with Season of Mist record label. Really? Yeah. Okay. So just her or her? Just her. Yep. It's not, so a solo not project. Contest. Yeah, but just her. Okay. I hope she does something because she is just she has some incredible talent and um just just insane knowledge of the instrument and and writing oh and yeah especially because i mean i i've met her a couple of times and she's got tiny little hands and she's playing eight string guitars like they're you need some long fingers for ex- that exactly that's why tosin abasi's the king but i i can't believe it though that you know we, we saw her play a show at the ritz oh yeah yeah i was so shocked about how well she could play live because in the youtube videos and everything you know you can make sure you're taking the time yeah. To make sure you're getting the good oh, yeah. take and everything. But live, I, they were just killing it, that band. So very happy, very happy to see that. that that's cool. You know, also, record labels are now going out and signing like YouTube personalities and that's, stuff. That's cool. Congratulations, Sarah. Yeah. Be, be excited to see what you uh, are putting out. And on a side note, I want to talk about some tour dates that are coming up. Dates where you may see us, the host of You Talk in Prague, or you may just see a great show. <laughs> March 22nd, Protest the Hero is going to be at St. Andrew's Hall. Incredible lineup. Yeah. They uh, sold out the shelter, so they had to move it upstairs. Yeah, we still got to get our tickets before they sell that out. Yeah. I looked on Facebook, and I saw under the event headline, like, Protest the Hero sold out, and I I peed a bit out of nervousness, but (laughs) that was the shelter that sold out, moved to St. Andrew's. So they moved it. We're going to get our tickets this Saturday. You can bet that we will be there. Also, between the Barry to me, April 7th. Crazy. The Deer Hunter at Emerald Theater. Uh, Anthony Jesselnick, not a prog person, but a hilarious comedian, is going to be at the Royal Oak Music Theater March 2nd. Oh, cool. That He's one of my favorite comedians. It's the day before my birthday. Hey, that's a prog birthday there. A a real good (laughs) prog birthday. (laughs) Uh, February 8th at the Loving Touch, Boys of Fall will be playing there. 
March 30th at the Machine Shop. Every Time I Die is doing a uh, solo headlining show okay. on their tour of Memphis May Fire. March 26th at the Magic Stick. We have Knocked Loose and Terror, which is going to be the greatest of greatest hardcore shows. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I might break a bone and... Hopefully not, but it will be a lot of fun. <laughs> and just announced today, have you ever listened to the band Sleep? No. They are like a, a doom stoner metal band. Okay. Very, very good. Uh, it's got Matt Pike, who uh, is famous for High on Fire. Yeah, okay. I saw High on Fire last year with uh, Mashuga. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Oh, that would have been such a good show. Yeah, it was, they were awesome. Yeah, he doesn't wear a shirt on stage or anything. This is his first band, Sleep. They're so good. But they just announced a tour of the U.S., and they never really tour the U.S. And that's going to be happening March 30th at St. Andrew's Hall. Wow. Okay. So definitely, definitely got to check that one out. And then finally, July 1st, you know where we're going to be, Freedom Hill, for Jethro Tull's 50th anniversary, baby! Ian Anderson! Ian Anderson is my favorite! <laughs> hey, you too, Frog Mayor. All right. And we will be right back after this commercial break. This episode of You Talk and Prague is brought to you by Spinal Recovery Center, where they thoroughly evaluate each patient and create a customized care utilizing their team of medical experts. Their goal is to reduce your pain level while developing a long-term program to alleviate your condition. For more information, visit them at SpinalRecoveryCenter.com. And we are back here on You Talking Prague. I am your host, Taylor, joined as always with your co-host, Evan. I'm here, and I'm ready to talk some Prague. We are ready to talk some Prague. Do we got Prague Mayor here still? Oh, yes! All right, everyone's in the house. Evan, this week we decided that we were going to go through and just talk about specific records that hold a really important influence on us. Either we listened to them when we were young, really got us into this type of music, or just hold a special place in our heart. Yeah, yeah. So each of us went through our vinyl collection this week and picked out a couple important albums to us. Some of them may be prog, some of them may not be prog, but you're going to enjoy them all. <laughs> Evan, what do you got first up to bat? All right, well, I kind of went in order of uh, what when in my life these albums affected me. Mm -hmm. So to start with, I picked Black Sabbath's Paranoid album. Paranoid! And while it's not a prog album at all, I picked this gem because of how important it was to me in my early years and my life stages of music. Um, pretty much as, as soon as I started talking, I had opinions on all the music that my parents were listening to. I'm just kind of <laughs> always, always been that way. This is not good. No more Barry Manilow. <laughs> and this album really stuck out to me as a young and. I, uh, if you ask my dad, he'll tell you that I constantly asked him to play Iron Man. <laughs> it was like my anthem as a child. <laughs> so uh, growing up, this album, as well as the rest of their early music, was very important to me. And when I started playing bass guitar at 11 years old, many songs on the album became some of the first songs I ever learned. Oh, those Geezer Butler lines, are just, they're so important if you're like a, a starting out bass player. If you can yeah. master those, you can master anything. Yeah, in fact, I'd even say that Geezer Butler was probably the biggest influence on my overall style of bass playing at an early age, and maybe even still. I can see that in your playing. And a uh, funny, funny story about this album. So the first track, War Pigs... Everyone knows the iconic ending that kind of speeds up and gets sound, sounds all weird. 
Oh, yeah, everyone knows it. Yeah, so it just kind of gets all fast at the end. Well, anyway, when I first started listening to this album, it was on vinyl, and the copy of the album that my dad gave me was a uh, limited release quadraphonic quadra disc print of the vinyl and uh, a, a quadra what it's called a quadra disc but it's quadraphonic audio so instead of <laughs> stereo there were four channels and some of the, the the technology lasted about two years and never took off but <laughs> so kind of like hd dvds before blu-ray killed oh, it oh rest uh, in peace <laughs> but yeah so i had a weird remastered four channel quadraphonic version of the album and when they remastered the album they forgot to speed up the ending of that part and i did seriously didn't, yes and i didn't know that that was supposed to be sped up because that was the only copy of the album i had growing up so i didn't hear the actual version of the song until sometime in high school <laughs> and i thought it was just like the single version or something <laughs> And it wasn't until college that I was listening to the album on probably Spotify or something, and and it sped up at the end, and I was like, "What the hell? What what is this? They're speeding up my Sabbath. What's going on?" So I did a bunch of research on it, and apparently, the copy I'm used to hearing isn't really available at all, and must have just been a mistake in the remaster process. You have a one in a lifetime Black Sabbath record. They gave you a one in a lifetime. Like listening of War Pigs. That's all you knew of War Pigs. Mm-hmm. You only knew it as that. Yeah, that's you, all I knew. You didn't know the speeding up part. No. I think I was with you when that happened, and you kept saying like, "This isn't right." Yeah. With, <laughs> I being like, "No, dude, it's it's right. It's uh, it's War Pigs." It's like, no, it's not right. That's not how the ending goes. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that was my first pick of our uh, influential albums. That was the first Black Sabbath album that I had heard, actually. Really? And yeah, it was. My dad showed me it, and it was the only one I listened to for a while because I just I, I loved it from start to finish, especially Fairies Wear Boots. Love that song. That, oh, you gotta believe me, <laughs> Evan. I'm gonna throw a record onto the prog fire here, and I'm gonna say that one of the biggest records for me what I heard when I was a kid and getting me into this music and getting me into all types of weird music is 1977's Songs from the Woods by <sighs> Jethro Tull. You know that's my favorite Tull album. Oh, I, I had to throw it in for that, too, because, uh, you know, Tull is a pretty tough band to, you know, get into. If you're not into them, I understand it. It's, uh, it's a very complex, strange you know, artsy music. Yeah, and Ian Anderson's, one, he's playing the flute, which is something most people aren't used to, and two, he's just kind of a weird voice. He's got a very weird voice. He's got a very weird <laughs> style to it, very weird humor. But this is their 10th record they did. It uh, was inspired from Ian Anderson's departure to a more rural environment. I believe this is when he moved to Scotland. Okay. Uh, and the transition can be seen clear on the writing and the recording. I mean, the... The album's called Songs from the Woods. On the back, it's got a record player that's playing off a uh, tree stump yeah. there. It's very folky, uh, very, very, uh, like that title implies, from a, the wood. For, from the woods. They doff their cap to the British folklore and countryside. Ho, ho. <laughs> the, it has so many standalone tracks on it. I mean, the title track, the harmonies on it between the whole band. It, so, so cool. So beautiful. Uh, this one had, you know, Ian Anderson, Martin Barr on guitar, 
John Evans on piano, David Palmer on piano and synthesizer, John Glasscock on bass, and Barry Moore Barlow on drums. And John Glasscock and Barry Barlow together is just such a such a lineup. Oh, such a powerhouse rhythm section. I know, and I mean, at times on this album, especially like Hunting Girl, it's almost like he's using double bass. It's like heavy, but it doesn't sound it heavy. It doesn't sound heavy at all, but it's some of the heaviest stuff that you could imagine recording in I know. 1977. And just just the the way that those instrumentalists play together, just something else. Something else. The whole song, too, feels very like... It, it's almost like dancing, mm-hmm. sort of. That like the first time I heard it, I remember. I think I was like seven, driving around in the car with my parents, and I'm like, I like this. And I just like bouncing around to it, you know. Like here's Cup of Wonder. Yeah, we're dancing in the studio right now. Hey, I make my fond excuses. This is probably my favorite Toll song. Really? Yeah. Wow. It, it, it's so good. I think it was my father's also. Such a departure, too, from what they were doing uh, in their previous record, which was Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die. Yeah. That's a little more. They were trying to go for the singles. I love that record. I got it right here next to me, actually. Um, and then before that, they had War Child, which was uh, a very, like, pop departure from what they were doing with Thick as a Brick and a Passion Play. So I feel like this record was a really like back to roots for them. Like, hey, we're a folky band with these prog elements in us. Right. But we can still write these like poppy, like chart topping songs and everything. Yeah, and and what I, I think what I love so much about this album is that it is definitely their folkiest album. Oh yes. And the flute works so well with that folk style music. I just picture a little, you know, what are those, what do they call those things that are half goat, half man? Uh, Taylor Blackburn? Yeah. <laughs> you know, one, one of those like yeah, prancing uh, around with yeah, a like flute. a little wood nymph. That, yeah. That's what I think of every time I hear this record. He's just bouncing around and he's playing a little Playing flute. his lute and singing songs and in the middle of the woods, he's got a guy with a lute with him. Songs like Jack in the Green, it's about a uh, a little woodland creature who, Ian Anderson makes this like speech every time before he plays, it's about a woodland creature who watches over all the things during the cold and harsh winter months. Yeah, he's got no time to dance. <laughs> so he's just got to bust it out. This was uh, also their first in what they did in like a folk rock trio, which was Songs from the Woods, uh, 78's Heavy Horses, and 79's Stormwatch. Which, in general, I think those are my three favorite Tall albums. Yeah, Stormwatch, I think I have to go back and re-listen to, because I barely know any of the tracks from it. And my first time listening through it, I was like, this is good, but it's not my favorite. It's my least of the three. Yeah, I, I would say so. That was when the band was really falling apart, too. Yeah, but that sometimes makes great music. Yeah, that is true. I think they were all trying to go in a different direction musically, and then after that, that's when uh, A came out which was all synthesizers baby ian anderson no no anderson how could you but songs from the wood i'm gonna throw that on there as one of my top favorite prog albums oh that's a hell of a pick well my next album as i was going through my collection that i found was fair to midland's arrows and anchors oh from 2011 and out of my picks today, this is the only album that I started listening to as soon as it was released. Yeah. So um, 
when this came out, or actually a year before this came out, me and Taylor went to a show of theirs in 2010, but we didn't know who they were. And the lineup was Fair to Midland with Periphery opening and Scale the Summit before them. And we went for Scale the Summit, had never heard of Periphery <laughs> or Fair to Midland. This sounds like a joke, I swear to God. This is real. This, is, this actually happened. <laughs> so Periphery was not really known yet, and Fair to Midland was kind of known, but, I mean, they never hit off all that well. No, I mean, the show wasn't it didn't have like a huge turnout to it no either it, no it didn't but everyone that was there was was into it yeah um but yeah needless to say we left that show being fans of two more bands afterwards and it's crazy to see like how much those two bands impacted us then after i know and for fair to midland set that night the mix wasn't great the lighting wasn't that great it's not I mean, it, it's a good venue, but it's not like, you know, the top of the line venue. But oh, no. The show was of some of the highest caliber I've ever seen. Probably one of the best shows I've ever seen. I barely remember it just because as soon as they got on stage, you know, we didn't, we weren't even thinking of staying for Fair to Midland. We were just going to, we were like, oh, let's see what their first song's like and maybe take off. And I think they started with Whiskey and Ritalin. Yes. <laughs> just. Went right into it. One of the heaviest tracks uh, of, of their all entire time. discography. It, it's so good, and we were just blown away. Darrow, the singer, then jumps right in the crowd. Yep, yep, right <laughs> on top of people, going absolutely nuts. And his crowd surfing the whole time. He's hanging from the rafters with his legs. Yeah, and that that energy level stayed there for the entire show. And they aren't even a metal band, so it's no. it's, it's crazy to see a band in that realm just go so hard the entire show. What a beautiful band. And from the second we heard them, that was right before they were releasing Arrows and Anchors. Yep. We had heard the demo version of Ricky Tiki Tavi. Yep. Yep. I remember going home and looking up everything. They had that Ricky Tiki Tavi demo was on MySpace, if you believe what? it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. MySpace. It was a MySpace demo. Hey, so <laughs> I'll put you in my top eight friends. <laughs> so uh, the next year, we went to the album release show for Arrows and Anchors, actually. And that was more of the same, you know, just absolutely incredible showmanship. Um, I don't even remember who opened that show. I don't either, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It was just, oh, it was so good. Then shortly after that, because they didn't release the vinyl right off the bat, shortly after that, they self-released uh, the, the vinyl copy of the album, which I bought, and I believe it was a one of 150 print, which is pretty cool. Yeah, hey, we got two of those. Yeah, we do. And um, Only 148 left for you boys <laughs> and girls. But the album itself is very dark, um, kind of depressing, and a lot of the lyrics are kind of, it's... It, it's obvious that the band's going through like the it, ending stages of their career as a band. They're going through some stuff, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, I don't know that they would ever admit this, but to me, it's kind of their goodbye. I could see that. I can really say, especially in the lyrics that Daryl wrote for it. Oh, this, this album, every time I think of it, I just think of a certain track. I'm like, no, that's my favorite Fair to Midland track. Uh, <laughs> the Greener Grass holds yeah. such a special place in my heart. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible way to end the album and, and their discography. Oh, God. As many of you have you know sort of realized in our tone, if you don't know already, Fair to Midland is no longer an active band. Nope. Uh, Arrows and Anchors was their last record. They toured it for a bit. Yep, went through a couple of member changes. Some, yeah, I think some some of the members were like, "Well, if we're if we're finishing after this, why stick around for the end of it?" And the rest of them stuck through, took a couple other people out on the road, and finished it out. But 
I missed their last show they did. So did and, I. Yeah. I was at an Iron Maiden show. I don't remember where I was. But... You were probably at work because you weren't at the Iron Maiden show. <laughs> but every track on this album is a must listen. But if you only have time for a spot listen, check out Musical Chairs, Amarillo Sleeps on My Pillow, and Greener Grass. Oh, yes. Oh, so good. You know what? I got to say that I am a whale. As many of you probably heard in the beginning with those uh, opening lyrics we do, I some of you should realize we're just saying some prog lyrics at the top there, mm-hmm. and those were some sweet fair to Midland lyrics. On this episode, yes, they were. Oh, yes. <clears throat> okay, for my record, I'm going to go one that is not prog at all. Really? No okay. prog. No prog right here. This is a no prog take, and I'm going to go with 2013's album from Let Live. The Black is Beautiful. Their third studio record released on Epitaph Epitaph Records. <laughs> it is such a monster record and holds such a significant place in my heart. 2014 was a really tough year for me, and this was when I got into the band. Uh, it was the first live show that I saw after all the stuff in my life went down and just really connected with me. They have such an energetic live show. Uh, Jason Butler, the front man is one of the most charismatic, open, humble front that you will see. You know, he, when he has this large crowd, he's truly thankful for it. You can just see it in the way that he performs and plays. Uh, it, it's hard to describe what let live is. It's like a combination of, punk rock post-hardcore music with some funk and soul elements into it yeah i I don't i haven't heard the album and i don't know much about them but it it, it's pretty heavy here i'm gonna play a little bit of uh 27 club this is like halfway through the song okay let's go build up So yeah, it's it's pretty easy to see they're you know a post-hardcore punk band, yeah. but just the way they sort of arrange their beats, the the grooves of it and everything feels very funky. I love the the dissonant chords that they've got going on there. Yeah, this album too. It sounds so weird. I will say it's uh, probably their worst sounding record. Recording wise, yeah, and it kind of held them back, and this was on purpose. Uh, they went through ten different recording engineers before they finally decided on one, and they went with Stephen George, and he mixed and mastered the record to quote have a more human and organic sound to it. I love that. Yeah, I really like that too. I think as it, an audio engineer, it's weird for me to love that, but I just love that. Yeah, I think the album falls a little flat i think they were going for a really good idea with it but i think in its execution it falls a little flat a little on too it overdone yeah but when you hear the album perform live that's when it really brings it out 
But I do I, like like you were saying. I really do like this uh, idea of you know engineers making records sounding more human, more organic. Yeah, like raw, real. Yeah. The lyrics too. Jason Butler is one of the best lyricists of all time. You know, all these lyrics are really politically, socially, personally conscious. They talk about themes such as greed, racism, growing up in a broken home. It's like a beautiful ode to being a disinfected and disenfranchised youth. And that's, I think, one of the reasons the record like really stood out to me. And from there, I just started falling in love with Let Live. I would go to every one of their shows. And uh, sadly, they also just recently announced their breakup. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All these good bands falling apart. And they only have uh, three records. You know, short-lived band, but they're really going to go down in the history books. Yeah. And so that is my non-prog take of this episode. Well, another band that has an incredible lyricist, even though it's more about uh, things that didn't actually happen, stories, um, but a band that is still together, my third choice is Coheed and Cambria's Yes! In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 from 2003. 2003? Mm-hmm. It was 15 years ago? Yeah, and I didn't even really start listening to the band until probably the album was 10 years old. 2013 is when I be really started listening to them. I became a huge fan while I was living in Wisconsin in 2014 and 2015. Yeah, that's like when I started listening to them a lot, too. So when I first started dissecting their catalog, this album stuck out to me. This oh, was yeah. the one for me. The, the album where I really liked their first album as well. I like all their music, but... But the first album is, uh, it's got lots of incredible ideas, and you can tell it's just so raw and so real, but it lacks in the... The grandeur, sort yes. of, of what In Keeping Secrets it has to it. It's and so epic. So I think they they kind of came together and figured out how to write songs that were creative and awesome and, and different, but able to be more accessible to the to the general population on this album and this album is just so good it starts out with a two-minute interlude and goes right into the title track um which is eight minutes long uh, it's so good it's it's just this weird multi-part like prog punk prog pop epic basically and most of the rest of the album's in a three to six minute range, but then they close it out with two songs that are close to 10 minutes. Yeah, it's insane. It's yeah. just all over the place. The The title track to that actually, last time I saw Coheed, which was at 2015's Riot Fest. They had, Oh, yeah, it was such a good show. They, you know, have a big old grand introduction for them and everything, this great soundscape and everything. And it was an outdoor festival. Sun was kind of setting at this point, and... On their intro track, all of a sudden it starts skipping and then it just shuts down. Oh, really? And, yeah. And they're all waiting to take the stage. The drummer's there, he's ready. And then they're all looking at each other with their instruments, just being like, oh, like, what, what do we do? What, what do we do? And so they were like, well, we had this big intro like plan that was going to build up to a thing and then we were going to go into and in keeping secrets. And so they just went right into it. Oh, wow. Okay. And that was so, I think that was way better than having that big old introduction because it was just like seeing a band. Here's a band. We're going up there. We're picking up our instruments. Let's just start playing. Yeah. Yeah. So and I bet incredible. You, once, once they all figured out what was going on, I bet you it didn't throw them off at all. They just nope. got right back into it. Uh, the first thing they said, they're like, oh, it wouldn't be a Coheed show without something fucking up in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> but Coheed, 
especially in their early work, just has this knack for making music that's, I mean, it's undoubtedly prog music, but it's also like so catchy yeah. and, and and fairly simple. And a, uh, a Flavor House Atlantic, that's one of the most like poppy, catchy songs that you could have out there. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's punk in, in its roots and it's prog in its orchestration and it's writing, but it, it, it's just so different. No one sounds like them. It's, it's so crazy to me that I, mean, I think we might have talked about this before that we saw them in 2009 on the Slipknot tour. Yeah, I know. And I wasn't even really. I, I didn't care. I walked around the venue. I was like, I'm bored. Yeah, I know. I was a I was a metal fan and only a metal fan pretty much at that point. And I was actually pissed off that people moshed for Coheed and not for Trivium. Yeah, you're not going to mosh for the pull harder on the strings of your martyr. <laughs> I remember being up at Central and they were doing the 10th anniversary tour of this and they were playing the album in full because my friend Patrick went to it. I was so jealous. I wish I could have seen that. Yeah. Prog Mayor, you have anything else to say? Hello, I love Genesis. Of course you do, Prog Mayor. Yeah, that's great, man. You got a favorite uh, album? Why the lamb lies down on Broadway, right? Yes, that one. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our uh, favorite albums. Yeah, I think we're going to have this as a returning segment. I like this sort of going through our album history. Yeah, yeah, co- picking a couple out of our collection and talking about what they mean to us. And if you have anything you want to say to us, anything that we got wrong, you can go and tell us at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash you talking prog. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Give it that five stars. We will love you forever and ever. Helps us climb in the ratings. Helps us bring the show to more people. And that's what we're trying to do. Just trying to bring the prog out there to the world. Bring back the time signatures, the modes, the riffs, the prog. And thank you for joining us for another episode of You Talking Prog. This has been a 148 South Street Studio production. Executive produced by Nick Coco, Evan Benetti, and Taylor Blackburn. For more information and content, please visit us at 148southstreetstudio.com. And just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on You Talk in Prague do not reflect those of our sponsors.